Welcome to this podcast from Harvest Community Church of Huntersville, North Carolina, where our vision is to make disciples who make disciples. I'm your host, Liz Stefanini. So there are, there are some strange laws on the books in our country today. In Los Angeles, you're not allowed to wash your neighbor's car without permission beforehand. In Louisiana, you can be charged up to $500 for sending a surprise pizza to someone. Here in North Carolina, bingo games are not allowed to last more than five hours. So if you want a really long one, you need to go to another state. I guess that's the moral there. In Arizona, it's illegal for a donkey to sleep in a bathtub. In Hawaii, it's illegal to place a coin in your ear. I have no idea why. In Kentucky, a woman cannot marry the same man four times. It makes me wonder, for whose sake did they make that law? What woman actually wanted to marry the same man four times? And finally, in South Dakota, it's illegal to sleep in the cheese factory. Now, some laws make sense and some don't. But all laws have one thing in common. They can tell us what to do and not do, but they cannot give us power to do it. They cannot help us fulfill it. They cannot help us obey it. Laws can only restrict and instruct. Today, we are beginning, as you see on your screen, a new series called Living Letters, discovering life change through Paul's epistles, the 13 letters that the Apostle Paul wrote that are recorded in the New Testament. Our plan is every week to take one of those letters and to preach through it. And as Corey alluded earlier, hopefully, if you're a part of Harvest, you've already started reading Galatians this week because that's where we're starting. We're doing these in the approximate order in which we believe they were written, and we think Galatians was the first or one of the first. And so that's where we'll start. And we at Harvest are completely, absolutely, irrevocably committed to expository preaching. Normally for us, that looks like taking a paragraph, a few verses, or if it's a narrative, a longer story, maybe a full chapter, and just going through that. And the difference between expository preaching and other kind of preaching is that in expository preaching, the text itself shapes the sermon. It shapes the ideas. It shapes the structure rather than the ideas of of the one speaking. So this is going to be different. It is going to be expository preaching. We're just going to have a lot more to cover every Sunday. We are going to let the text shape what we're doing. So... Probably the first letter that Paul wrote was Galatians. It was written not just to one church. It was written to several churches. You see on this map, see that kind of purple area? That's the Roman province called Galatia. And in Paul's missionary journeys, he went to some of these cities like Pisidian Antioch and Iconium, Lystra and Derby. These would probably be some of the churches that Paul was speaking to. Now, 
there are some uh, scholars who believe Paul was writing to churches up in the northern Galatian area. That's possible. There's nothing definitive. It doesn't change anything. I, I tend to think the, the, the chronology of the New Testament fits a little better with the, the view that these are the ones that he was probably speaking to. And let me give you a little background. False teachers were infiltrating these churches. They demanded ongoing adherence to the Mosaic law. They were infiltrating these Galatian churches. So Paul wrote these, this letter to defend the gospel and to apply the true gospel of grace to them. So if we think about the gospel, that's the good news about Jesus Christ. And we compare what the gospel says versus what the false teachers were saying. The gospel says faith in Christ plus nothing is what is required for salvation. You are saved by faith alone. And this has been a major tenet of the church. The false teacher said, faith in Christ is okay, but you need to keep adding elements of the Mosaic law, specifically things like circumcision. Circumcision was not just a medical procedure in that day. It was, it, it was, it was a ritual that was part of the Mosaic law. And so they were saying, essentially, it's okay to have faith in Christ, but now, now go all the way and keep adhering to the Mosaic law. These false teachers are often called Judaizers. Paul, in chapter 2, verse 12, calls them the circumcision party. As I look at this letter of Galatians with six chapters in it, here's the way I am organizing it. Why is it important to understand and live by the true gospel of grace? I think even though we, again, as we normally preach and go through just small sections, sometimes even a verse or two or a few verses, we dive in and get all the details. But this was a letter. This was a start to finish letter. And Paul had, in most all of these letters that we're going to look at, he had a view. He had a purpose. And I think this was his purpose. I think his purpose was they need to understand grace. They need to understand the gospel. And as we walk through the letter, we'll see at least three reasons why it is important. And let me give them to you. First of all, there's only one true gospel. There's only one true gospel and there are counterfeits. Paul saw that beginning in chapter one, you know, Paul just dives right in, doesn't give personal greetings and things like that, like he normally does in letters. He says, I am astonished, verse six, that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusing, confusion, confusion, <laughs> Easy. I'm confused as I try to read that word. Confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel, other than what you have accepted, let them be under God's curse. That's, those are pretty strong words. He comes right out of the gate. There's only one true gospel. 
It's only the truth. And of course, you know, our culture and our world says, oh, things like that are very narrow-minded. But you know, if I'm in a, if I'm in a building and the room next to me is catching on, is on fire and the fire is moving in my direction, I don't think it'll be narrow-minded when somebody comes in and says, you need to get out. I want them to tell me the truth. I want them to, if there is a truth that is going to affect me, and that is exactly what Paul, Paul is doing here. These false teachers are saying things that are not true. And then Paul, after coming out like that, he becomes very personal with his own history with the gospel in the rest of chapter one and into chapter two, how God saved him by his marvelous grace and called him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And then, so he tells how that he was saved and after he preached the gospel in various places, he eventually went up to Jerusalem to meet with the apostles. And here was the reason why. You know, the church started at a Jewish-based thing, and it was in Jerusalem, and, and different ones were sent out. Paul had gone out. He wasn't preaching primarily to Jews, although his pattern was to go to the, to the synagogue first, and then he would turn to the Gentiles. So as he was out preaching this gospel that didn't include adherence to the Mosaic law, he wanted to come back and report to the apostles to make sure they understood it to make sure they accepted it and that they endorsed it so that the church could be one. And indeed, they had these conversations and they did. That was amazing because prior to Christ, the Gentiles were viewed as unclean and not someone that any Jewish person would want to have anything to do with. Look how he says this in chapter 2, verse 4. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves, we did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So, so the, they had these conversations and the church leader said, yes, Paul, we agree with you. Keep preaching to the Gentiles. Just, just keep remembering the poor and they had a couple of things like that. Great, grace wins, Right? Well, not so fast, <laughs> because grace always has enemies. There are always people that want to do more. There are always people that want you to do more. <laughs> there are always people that want you to work for something or earn something. And Paul saw that Peter, who was also Jewish and preached to Jewish people, was acting like a hypocrite. Here was Peter. He came, and when there were no other Jews around to see him, he would eat with the Gentiles. And then when some Jewish brothers came, he knew the Jewish brothers were there, and he was afraid, oh, these Gentiles, they're not circumcised. I'm eating with them. If these Jewish, other Jewish brothers see me, that'll make me look bad. And so when the Jewish brothers arrived, he stopped eating with the Gentiles, and Paul just confronted him to his face. It's interesting to confront the first pope, isn't it? It's a little facetious there. Paul got in his face and said, why are you trying to make the Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? He used these words in verse 15 of chapter 2. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles... 
know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ, Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. So again, you see, the Mosley, we didn't get the Bible just like, like it just dumped, dropped down from heaven to us. The law, when we talk about the law, we're talking about 613 commands that the Old Testament gave. We're talking about five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's, that was the law, although the word law could also refer to all of the Old Testament, but those were the, the books of the law. And when God chose Israel, he gave them the law, and we're going to see in a couple of minutes why he did that. And it contained all kind of things in there, including diet, kosher diet, including circumcision. And so if you are not a, if you're a Gentile and you've never been Jewish and you've never done any of those things and you hear about Jesus Christ and you put your faith in him and then a Jewish person says, well, that's good, but let me show you what else you need to do to be acceptable to God. That's a counterfeit gospel. And today in our world right now, there are all kinds of churches and Christian groups, or not necessarily, no, I don't mean Christian groups, religious groups, I should say, that will tell you, here's what you need to do to be right with God. And it's like, bang, 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 it's things that you do. All these various religions of the world focus on the things you do. The gospel focuses on what Christ has already done. Focuses on Jesus Christ. In fact, I saw an analogy this week. Let me share this analogy um, about a train. The train rumbles in. I can't remember who wrote this, but the train rumbles into the station. The doors open. The conductor steps out. You climb on board and you, you look for your seat. You walk down. You find a seat and you see tickets that are clipped on the back of the seats. And those are the tickets for the passengers who have paid their money to be on that train. They earned their way. They earned money and they paid and they bought their way to go to the next destination. And as, as they walk through, the, the conductor walks through, he collects the ticket, he stamps the ticket or punches it, makes sure they're there. And if you don't have a ticket, then at the next stop, you've got to get off. That, in the analogy, is righteousness by works. You buy your ticket. You go to church enough. Or you get confirmed. Or you do this or that or the other and you name it. On the other hand, righteousness by grace works in a very different way. God's train pulls into the station, the conductor steps off, people walk onto the train, find their seat, the conductor goes through the train to see if everybody has a ticket. But this time it says the conductor is not looking for tickets clipped to the top of seats. In fact, anyone 
who tries to pay for the right to be on the train will be escorted promptly from the train at the next stop. That's right, no one can earn the right to be on this train. What the conductor looks for as he walks seat by seat through the car is the penniless people he knows by name. The people who are his friends and completely lack the means to pay. These poverty-stricken people climb on board with only one hope. They believe in the generosity of their friend, the conductor. And that is righteousness by grace. A ride on God's train is a gift. Amen? Now, by our standards, it's unfair. It's scandalous, but that is grace. And that is the gospel. And there is only one true gospel. And even today, not just in Paul's day, not just in Galatia, but even in our day, there are a lot of counterfeits. So that's the first reason why it's important to understand and live by the gospel. The second reason is we get into the next couple chapters of Galatians. He laid that foundation out in the first two chapters. Now we get into chapter three and four. It's because false teachers will try to alter the gospel by promoting life under law. That's what they will promote. In chapters three and four, Paul goes into detail about the relationship of the law and faith in Christ, the law and God's promises to Abraham, He talks about who the two children of God are, and he tells about his concern for the Galatians. And Paul asks them a couple of great questions at the beginning of chapter 3. When you received the Holy Spirit, did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? And the answer is, of course not. (laughs) They received the Holy Spirit by faith in Christ. And he asked them, after starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to perfect yourself through the law? So if you started your relationship with God and your life, you received the Holy Spirit by faith, why now are you changing and trying to complete it through the law? What about the law? Where does the Mosaic law fit in? We jump down to verse 23. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So we have legal guardians today in our culture, right? But in that day, in the the Roman system, first century uh, Roman Empire, Let's say a child was an heir to a great inheritance, but they were 11 years old. They weren't old enough to inherit the money. So a guardian would come along and would tutor them and would take care of them and would be with them and would follow along with them until they reached the age of maturity. And when they reached the age of maturity, then they would receive the inheritance. The guardian would pass off the scene and the person would have all rights and privileges of his inheritance. That's what a guardian was. The guardian was never designed to be with that person all of their life when they were 30 and 40 and 50 and 60 and so forth. It was was just to get them up to the point of maturity. 
And that's what Paul uses as an analogy of the law. This is what the Mosaic law did. It was from God. It was good. It was great. But it wasn't designed to be forever. You know, now, and this is very, very important for us as we, because we have all of God's word, right? It's all God's word from Genesis to Revelation, but it speaks to us in different ways, and it relates to us in different ways. The law that God gave Moses was not given to you and me. The law, you are not under law. You are not obligated to keep the Mosaic law. It wasn't given for Christians that were going to come along after Christ. It was a guardian to get us up to Christ. That's what Paul says here. And I think a lot of churches, even good gospel preaching churches, miss this slightly. They're slightly misguided. They will say things like, well, we know we're not under law anymore. But now that you're saved and Christ lives inside you, that gives you the power to keep the Mosaic law or to obey the Mosaic law. We know that you don't have to keep the civil parts of the law or the ceremonial. Like you don't have to all those things about the different kinds of cloth, wearing different kind of clothes, or eating a kosher diet, that was, that was for them, that was for Israel. So they'll take out the, the civil part and the ceremonial part and, and, and somehow think that the rest of it still is immediately mandatory for Christians today, but the law is one. That, that's a human breaking up of the law into parts, not... That's not, that's not what God did with the law. He gave the law as this guardian. Now, some of you are nervous already. You're thinking maybe Jerry doesn't have as high a view of Scripture as I, as I thought he did. Or maybe you're, you're thinking, well, okay, is everybody just going to go live crazy or something without any guidance or regulation? And neither one of those are true. All of this is God's word. But if I was a Jewish person living hundreds of years before Christ, Leviticus would apply to me differently than it applies to us today living in 2021 after Christ. It's still God's word. It, the law reflects God's character. So we look at these laws. We look at these things and we go, wow, we can see the character of God and we can learn the character of God and we can still want to put the principles into practice. But as far as the actual specific regulations, here's the law we're under now as Christians. It's called the law of Christ. That's the teaching of Jesus and his apostles that's recorded for us in the New Testament. And unless an Old Testament law is explicitly restated or reapplied in the New Testament, it no longer applies to you. And I think you believe this even if you don't even realize you believe this. Because today's Sunday and you're not here on Saturday. You're not here on the Sabbath. And that's one of those laws that was given 
in the Old Testament, right? You don't honor Saturday as the Sabbath, and that's just an example. But it's God's word, and we look at the Old Testament, and we study it, and we learn it, and we love it, and it all points to Christ. We always say, how does this point to Christ? How does this point forward? Not, how do I have to live that way right now? So, verse 26, Paul continues this thought. In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through, what's the next word? Say it out loud. Faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Jesus. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. We were under law. Paul says before, but Christ came to redeem those who were under law so so they could be matured. They don't need that guardian anymore. Now we have Christ. Now we have sonship. Paul is fighting for their freedom. He's fighting for their understanding. And then when we come to the last two chapters of the letter, we'll see how this affects our Christian walk and our Christian life. And here is the third reason why it's important to understand the true gospel of grace. It's because Christ's work brings true freedom to believers, not by keeping the Mosaic law, but by yielding to the Holy Spirit. This is how true transformation occurs. It's by yielding to the Holy Spirit. You're not going to be changed by trying to obey something in your own strength. But you can be changed if you will yield to the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. Verse 1 of chapter 5, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I tell, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to keep the whole law. See, the law is, it's all together. You're all, or you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Fallen from grace. How many of you ever heard that term used? Fallen from grace. And that is one of the most misunderstood terms and verses because a lot of people say, ah, you can become a Christian and you start serving the Lord and then you turn your back on God and you sin and you are fallen from grace. And that's the, what they say. They get it from this verse, but it's, they've taken it totally out of context. Who are the people who have fallen from grace here in Galatians <laughs> Uh, verse four, who are the people who have fallen from grace? The ones who are trying to be justified by the law. So this idea that 
a Christian can lose their salvation and fall from grace because of sin is very different than people who are trying to be Christians by keeping the Mosaic law. Does, does that distinction make sense? Shake your head one way or another. Okay. So that's, that's what fallen from grace is. Paul wants them to make sure they don't misuse this freedom. Paul is saying, you're free, you're free, you're free. Well, let's don't misuse it. So he comes in verse 13. Uh, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour one another, watch out or you'll be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You and I can be transformed by the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, but that gives me hope. Because <laughs> our flesh is capable of so much sin, so much wrong, so much damage and destruction. In fact, he lists them in verses 19 to 21, right? These these works of the flesh, uh, sexual immorality, impurity, and anger, and envy, and so forth. And then on the other hand, you got works of the flesh, but then you've got fruit of the Spirit. Work is what you work for. Fruit is what God produces in you, and the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, etc. We get changed. We get changed as we let God, as we yield to the Holy Spirit, and He transforms us. And not only we're transformed, Others are transformed. And then Paul starts talking in Galatians about ways we can minister to other people. How he can help. Like verse 9 of chapter 6. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So let's review for a second. Three reasons why it's important to understand and live by the true gospel of grace. First of all, there's only one true gospel and there are counterfeits. Number two, false teachers are going to try to alter the gospel and promote life under law. And then number three, Christ's work brings true freedom to us. Not by keeping the Mosaic law, but by yielding to the Holy Spirit. This is how true transformation occurs. So here's God's word for us this morning. Understanding and living by the grace of God is the only path to transformation and freedom. You have to understand the grace of God. You have to live by the grace of God. You can't be transformed by your effort. You can't say enough prayers or read enough Bible verses, or give enough money to be changed. But God can change you. Now I want to apply it, and as we start wrapping it up, I, I'm going to use this acrostic with the word grace. Because this is, a, this is a sermon about grace. This is a book about grace. So 
let me give you five ways that we can apply this. And then when we finish the message, we're going to pray about these five ways. And that's how we'll wrap up this morning. First of all, by the way, they don't go from top to bottom. I hope that doesn't confuse you. But we're starting with R, receive God's forgiveness. I would never tell you, get on the train and buy your ticket and try to punch your way to heaven. Turn over a new leaf, be good enough, work hard enough, and maybe God will. And yet, there are people that I talk to, and if you were to ask them, do you believe in Jesus? They'll say, yeah. Do you think you're going to go to heaven? Well, I hope so. (laughs) What are you basing that on? And then they'll start saying, and this is particularly true in, in America, in North America. They might say things like, well, I... I, I did this and I do this. And so they've, they've said on the one hand that they believe, but when you really, when the rubber meets the road, they're really kind of emphasizing what they do. And that's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus loved you and died for you. And you and I have no way to get to heaven, but he said, I'm going to make a way. I'm going to pay their price. I'm going to buy their ticket for them. And you believe in me. So I encourage you, first of all, to receive God's forgiveness. Secondly, Christ living in you. Christ living in you. Once you're saved, how how do you grow? How do you become Christ-like? How do you see these things in your life change that you want to be changed? Well, Paul said in chapter 2, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. My parents taught me very well about the Christian life. But often we were growing up in church environments that I got the impression that I had to have a big checklist. And I had to check off all these things in order to be spiritual. And they became, they were not bad things, they were good things, but do you know what I mean? Have have any of you ever had checklists that you felt like you had to do? Now, this is adding to grace. Let me qualify here. This doesn't mean that we don't exert effort in the Christian life, okay? A true understanding of grace is not opposed to effort. A true understanding, understanding of grace doesn't lead to laziness or apathy, but here's what it leads to. I appreciate what God has done for me. He's gracious to me. By his grace, he has saved me. And now I want to please him. And that's why I will do these various spiritual disciplines like prayer and Bible study and memorization and meditation and silence. I do it out of appreciation for what God has done for me. And I know that the disciplines themselves won't make me spiritual. It's like, that's just my stopping and cooperating with God and giving him room as it were to work in my life. It's like I'm out on the sailboat and the wind is blowing and the, the, the legalistic approach is let me get my oar and let me, let me paddle. The, the other approach is, well, I, I'm not going to say, God, you just take me over to the other side, but I'm going to lift the sail. 
Lifting the sail is spending the time in the word and, and prayer and so forth. And then God's Holy Spirit blows and moves us to where he wants us to go. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big proponent, for instance, of what Christians often call quiet time or devotional time. I really think it's very important. It's a, it's a discipline I have in my life that before I get out the door, I want to get alone and quiet and get to a spot and, and a time with prayer and God's word. And I, it's helped me, and I believe it will help you, and we teach it, and we promote it. We think it's good, but just having a quiet time is not going to make you spiritual. And even if you didn't have a quiet time this week and you're a Christian, God still loves you. And God still cares about you. It's kind of how you look at things, isn't it? Sometimes you can be so focused on that and something happens, you're sick, you oversleep or whatever. And then you didn't have your quiet time and you think, oh, well, the day shot spiritually. Versus let me keep abiding in Christ anyway. At Harvest, we want to be a proponent of grace. We want grace to motivate everything you do. There are things we want you to do. We want you to give generously to the Lord, but not out of obligation because you love God and you love his work. We want you to attend corporate prayer. We want you to come to our corporate prayer sessions. I wish every single harvester was here every time we did that. And we talk about that and we encourage you to do it, but not out of obligation. And we understand there's seasons in life. Some of you have a lot of diapers you have to change while we're doing corporate prayer time. Some of you have other extenuating circumstances. And just because you don't show up at a certain time, even though we talk about that time, doesn't mean that you're not committed to prayer, committed to the Lord. Doesn't mean that we think, what's wrong with you? Does this make sense? We want this to be the grace approach. And some people, some of it is our human nature, and some of it is the religious environments we've been in, but some people always feel like they never measure up. <laughs> they always feel like they got to do one more thing. That, no, you don't have to do one more thing for God to love you. He loves you just like you are. A, accept others and their freedom. Accept others and their freedom. You know, Christians, I mean, there's a lot. We, we agree on a whole lot more than we disagree on. We agree on all the fundamentals of the faith. But there are some issues in the Bible that God leaves room for different people to make their own convictions and decisions about. And there are things that aren't mentioned specifically and things like which translation of the Bible should, should you use or whether to use alcohol in moderation or not at all. These are the things that have divided Christians at times, things like that. Whether to educate your children at home, homeschool them or public school or Christian school. Things that 
You can't find a specific Bible verse that says you must do it this way. And Christians have made their own convictions about how to do those things. You know what a grace approach is? On things that aren't clearly laid out like that. Now, if we're talking about the deity of Christ, the virgin birth, okay, there's no room for discussion on those things. But if it's something like those other things, uh, my brother, my sister, I accept you. I'll pray for you and love you. I won't judge you. I'll leave you with your freedom. And then I could go a long way into this, but the clock is going faster than I am this morning. So I've got to try to start wrapping it up. But what's called secondary separation, right? As believers, we're called to be separate from the world. We're supposed to love people and know unbelievers and try to lead them to Christ, but not be so intimately that we just hang out with them all the time and get influenced by them. So we're supposed to be separate from evil, but a a legalistic approach towards this has been not only separating from unbelievers, but even separating from other churches and other denominations and other groups that do things just a little bit differently than we do or believe differently on smaller doctrines. And so here's, here I am and here's this Christian and the first degree of separation is, oh, well, I'm going to stay away from them. But even if this person doesn't stay away from the other groups. And I, I, I see a staff member here from Billy Graham Association. Years ago, there were evangelical Christians that stayed away from Billy Graham because in Billy Graham's ministry, there were different times with, that he associated with people that weren't evangelical. And so it's, now, it's now, now I'm separating from the Christian who's not separating enough. That's not grace. That's not grace. We need to give others their freedom. Related to this is the E, but this is on a more personal level. Extend grace to others. Extend grace to others. How do you respond? How do you respond when a brother or sister sins? Do you judge them? Do you gossip about them? Do you criticize them? Or... Do you love them? Do you bear each other's burdens like Galatians talks about, the one who is spiritual? Restore them. How about if you, how do you feel about somebody who just doesn't get it, whatever it is? Do you extend grace to them? Maybe somebody who isn't as enlightened as you are. Somebody who makes different decisions than you would. Do you extend grace to them? You know, as husbands and wives, we need, we need to do this all the time. We need to extend grace to each other. Parents and children need to extend grace to each other all the time. Brothers and sisters in Christ need to extend grace to each other all the time. This is not about lessening our desire to walk with God in righteousness. It's about extending grace like Jesus did. I count myself to be a reasonably intelligent person, but one time I did something that wasn't reasonable and it wasn't intelligent. When we were in Chicago, I was doing my doctoral program, my father, for whom I had worked at one time, his company would always 
his always take their biggest client down to Myrtle Beach for four days of food and golf. And so I'd, I'd worked for them as a sales rep for a while, and then I was in Chicago, and he called me up one day and said, hey, Jerry, we'd, we'd love to fly you down here to Charlotte, and then you and I can ride to the beach together, and we can do this. It won't cost anything. We'll cover it. It was like, this was wonderful. I got to do this a few times, and it was awesome. Just my dad's in heaven eight years ago now, but just hanging out with him and fellowshipping with him and playing golf and just, it was just wonderful. So one night in one of those years, we were in a, he and I were staying in a condo. All, everybody, like a hundred, a hundred people went on this trip, 80 to a hundred people. We're staying in a condo, he and I, and we're sitting there on the, I'm on the couch, I think, and he's on the chair and right in front of the couch is a call, one of those uh, long coffee tables that's glass. And I, some kind of bug flew up and I had the bright idea that I needed to kill that bug. And so what did I do? I stepped on that glass table and when I stepped on it, crash, I went through it and the glass shattered everywhere. Fortunately, I was not, you know, cut too badly, but I felt bad. And I, you know, I almost I don't know why, because my dad was a gracious man, but I almost was expecting him to laugh at me or joke about it or say, why did you do that? Or, you know how much I said, oh, I said, oh, dad, I'm sorry. And he just looked at me and said, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. He extended grace to me. And he did that all his life. You know, there are people all around us that are stepping into things that... (laughs) that they, they, they shouldn't step into. And we need to extend grace to them. Well, the last one is glory only in the cross. This all comes back to Christ. It all comes back to him. Paul said in chapter 6, verse 13, not even those who are circumcised keep the law Yet they want you to be circumcised so that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Jesus is the hero here. He's the one we worship. We glory in his cross. Think about Think about what John said about Jesus. The law came through Moses, but what came through Jesus? Grace and truth. You know, it seems like sometimes people who are really into truth have a hard time being gracious. And sometimes people who are really gracious seem to think, well, the truth doesn't matter that much. Uh Uh-uh, not with Jesus. He was full of, say it with me, all the words, grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. We glorify his name today. We praise his name. We love him. We honor him. Glory in the cross. Well, there it is. Glory only in the cross. Receive God's forgiveness. Accept others and their freedom. Let Christ live in you. Let that be the way you try to become more spiritual by yielding to him and extend 
grace to others. Now, I made that one up. There's one that I didn't make up. And some of you have heard this one for grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Not a bad little definition of grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Understanding and living by the grace of God is the only path to transformation and freedom. Amen. Thanks again for joining us today from Harvest Community Church. This podcast is also available on our website, harvestcharlotte.com. Please go there if you want to send a question or comment, learn more about our ministries, or find out how you can donate to support the podcast.